first time like you're in an article and like you have all these journalists saying how awesome you are, you actually start believing that you're awesome. And like the truth is you're probably not, you know? Um, and it's, I think you have to manage a lot of the downs, but like a lot of the ups are really, really high ups and you have to know how to manage that emotionally too. And it's not easy. Um, it's not easy to understand that you're still in a startup that needs to grow when all these journalists are writing about you saying you're awesome, right? Welcome to another season of The Unsexy Startup with your co-host, Samai Parikh. I wanted to take a step back before launching the second season and really think about the value we are providing to our listeners. In this season, we will focus on diving deeper around certain challenges founders face while providing cl a clearer picture on how they overcame these challenges. In this episode, we have co-founder and CEO of Brex, Enrique Dubugra. Enrique joins us today to talk about the challenges of being a young founder scaling a company and some of the most common mistakes young founders make. Prior to Brex, Enrique started a fintech company in Brazil before the age of 21, which he sold and then proceeded to embark on the Brex venture, moving to SF. Brex is the world's first corporate credit card for startups backed by the likes of Ycom, Peter Thiel, and many more. With the recent 50 million Series B, Brex continues to scale. Enrique, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, what was the origin of Brex? I mean, what made you burn the ships and focus on this venture full time? Um, so a little bit of my background. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, actually. And... Um, before starting Brex, out of high school, I started this um, payments business down in Brazil called Pagarme. Um, that I think a similar comparison would be with Stripe or Braintree or WePay, like all these companies they do, but down in Brazil, right? We were like a merchant like, um, payment processor. Um, and we grew that business um, significantly, and we sold it by the end of um, 2016 in September um, and, and came to college for a little bit. Uh, after that, we got into Y Combinator, and inside Y Combinator, we saw that all these businesses that YC had approved, they had raised $120,000, and they couldn't get a corporate credit card. And we thought, huh, that was really dumb. Why can't they get a corporate credit card if they like raised $120,000? Um, and the ones that could get a card had to personally guarantee it, and they didn't like anything about it, or some of them didn't even know they were personally guaranteeing it. Uh, so that was the inception of Brex. Um, we, because we saw like all these companies that couldn't get cards. And you know, coming from Brazil, what were some of the challenges um, with getting into the U.S., uh, doing a startup there? And and you know, what are some of the challenges that you've taken from the first startup and implemented it to successfully scale Brex? I think it'll, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, coming to the U.S., initially, there's the whole visa thing, right? Which is, um, for international folks, a big problem. Um, but we, we went over that. We came through college, so that was um, easier. But I think that the, then uh, once you get here, the, the toughest thing for us was we weren't as unique anymore as in Brazil. So in Brazil, there's not a lot of startups, right? So we had one and was like one of the coolest ones. So recruiting wasn't that hard, you know, and like just getting customers weren't that hard. Getting press wasn't that hard. Here, there are just like so many people um, doing startups. Um, so it was hard for us to, in the beginning, kind of like differentiate ourselves. 
since nobody knew who Pogarmi was down in Brazil, right? Even though it was like a, a kind of like successful company down there. Um, so we had to be very creative on how to get, how to hire, how to get press, how to like get users in the beginning, because it wasn't like in Brazil where we're just like just there and people would write about us and everything like that. Were you like, after selling that, was, was the mindset that you were, you were maybe expecting people to like, maybe be like, okay, like, all right, like you've sold your last company and this should be an easier ride. Or was it, was it more like, okay, like I'm, I'm prepared to like start from scratch again. Like, you know, regardless of my previous exit, um, this may be a, a completely other hurdle I have to overcome. I think in, in the first two months was the former and then very quickly became the latter. Um, I think that after like you, you, we were like, the company was like a little bit over a hundred people when we sold it, it was very profitable. Right. And, um, so it was, we were kind of expecting that, Hey, this would give us like an extra set of credibility that would make stuff easier. Um, but turns out it does make some things easier because you learned a bunch of things, but because it was in Brazil, not in the U S and because there are so many like exits in the U S it wasn't uh, as easy as we thought, but then we quickly realized that we just had gonna have to forget about the last year of running Pogarmin and how we did things there, and just remember the first year and try to replicate the learnings and the the things we did there, right? Which is, I think, the the biggest challenge is you remember like, oh yeah, by the end we were doing this and it was so much more efficient, but like you forget the constraints you have in the beginning. And so, like, there, I mean, you know. Moving up to speed, I, there have been many highlights for Brex recently. I mean, especially your Series B round, which was led by, you know, incredible people such as Peter Thiel, Ycom, SV, and a few others. Um, but I want to focus on the most unsexy times of the company. Um, I'm sure from the outside looking in, um, as with any seed stage founder, this is their dream to get to the level that you've gotten to because not many founders can get there. Um, most of them die a little bit after or before getting to the seed stage and, you know, what were some of the craziest challenges you've had to overcome, you know, besides moving here, um, restarting another company, even though you were remembering that there are the hurdles in the beginning, what were other ones that you had to handle or that you thought was the most unsexiest challenge? Um, I think that for like for us, um, so that the time that was the toughest was between the product being ready to launch um, and getting all the financial partnerships that we needed and actually getting customers because there wasn't that much we could do. And getting, it, it was these things where in order to get the partnership of the banks and the financial institutions and the, um, uh, and the debt that you need to be able to start a credit card, you need to have like a lot of other things done, right? So in order, usually in order to raise money, you have to have a product, but our product was giving out money and having a credit card. So we needed to do that first. So we had to raise money without having anything, um, which was uh, its own set of issues. The second thing was, okay, after we did raise money, how do we get a bank to accept us to actually issue credit cards, right? Um, and getting that partnership was also um, trouble because we didn't have a product, we didn't have customers, we didn't have anything. So we just have to sell them on the dream too. Um, and then getting debt to go alongside of that because we needed to finance receivables, right? It's a fintech company. We need to lend people money. But in order to get debt, we needed to have a bank. In order to have a bank, we need to have debt. Um, 
So all these things uh, were kind of like chicken and egg problems that we have to go through and going all through this through my, um, my, uh, in my house's bedroom um, with my co-founder uh, was, was a challenge, right? Because he was just like coding all day. I think that time was the most unsexy because it's not like we were launching a product and getting users and like all that fun stuff. We're just like talking to banks and financial institutions and trying to get partnerships and without having anything. And they're like, Hey, but you, how many users you have? Or like zero, we need you to get a user. Um, and it, it was tough, but we got through it. I think like the first, I would say six months of building a fintech startup is really, really challenging because getting up to speed without having anything is you have to get a lot of people to trust you. And so was it, did you know, did you guys exactly know how to approach a bank about issuing you credit cards or did you guys have to figure that out on the go? Um, I think we got fortunate that we knew a lot about payments already. So we kind of knew what the bank had to do. Um, and then right after we started, um, uh, our, our CFO, Michael Tannenbaum, came uh, from SoFi and he had experience partnering with banks. So he knows how to do the like approach. And we knew the payments part. Um, so we together created kind of like a, a playbook and a strategy to be able to, to do it. And, you know, this topic's based around specifically for this episode is the, uh, you know, challenges of achieving success as a young founder. Um, there's so many people that are wanting to be entrepreneurs now, founders, and they're in, they're a lot younger now compared to the landscape 10 years ago. Um, seems like everybody wants to have their own startup. I mean, what are some huge hurdles that young founders with like ambitious visions um, experience? You know, how can they overcome some of these hurdles? I think there's a few things. Um, I think founders, they underestimate how tough it is to manage and they overestimate how hard it is to do stuff that seems boring in the company. Um, so they underestimate what management looks like and leadership looks like because it seems just natural, right? Just work, work your ass off, like say logical stuff. Um, and people, you'll know, be managing people. And the truth is, that's kind of it for the first five people. Um, but then as the company grows a little bit more, like a lot of challenges happen, right? And you, and you think that as a founder, you have more flexibility, like, oh, I don't have a boss, I can do whatever I want. But actually you have less flexibility, because you have to think about is that if you miss one day of work, like your team is going to notice that, right? Um, and you like founders take a while to actually understand that like truly like in theory they understand but like to actually truly understand that their example sets the culture of the company um so i think they underestimate how hard it is to build a good culture from scratch and how hard it is to manage but on the flip side they overestimate how hard it is to sell it's like not that hard. You read a book about it. You're not going to be the best in the world, but like you can do the basics. And if you have a good product, you'll be done with it, you know? Um, and they overestimate how hard it is to learn accounting and have the finances of the company, like in order, like, again, you read a book and you get it. It's not that hard. Um, I mean, you're not gonna be the, the best in the world at it, but you can definitely um, get your startup up and running. And, you know, speaking of speaking of like management, right, I, I don't think we've ever even spoke about this on the podcast. Um, 
where where you feel younger founders can manage better, right? Like you said, after five employees, it's like, you know, just, you know, kind of handle everything they're doing, track their KPIs, make sure they're hitting their goals. What happens when you expand to 10, 50 employees as a young founder? How do you handle that? So I think the way, again, I'm very pro on like basic literature about stuff like this is not these are not natural skills they can actually be learned and they can be learned by reading at some point so i think that the first thing is like just read a book about it about management i i like really like one called high output management like it changed my way of seeing hey what are the management things you have to do and just start like applying that um, in your day to day. And in the beginning, it may seem redundant. It's like, I'm just sitting next to the guy. Why the fuck would should we have a one-on-one? <laughs> but over time, you kind of like understand why that matters and why having like some sort of structure from the beginning actually is productive. Um, so I think that is uh, some a, a way you can get better. Um, and I think that the other thing is the reason sometimes founders are really good managers is because at the beginning, delegating isn't that good. Like you being on top of everything is actually like the way to go. Um, so experienced managers, sometimes they want to delegate stuff too soon and actually going and doing a lot of things yourself is like super, super important in the beginning. Young founders, they don't know otherwise. So they just like do it. But sometimes they delegate stuff they don't know at all how to start and they get someone, especially like sales or accounting and finance, that kind of stuff. Um, they just like, oh, yeah, I'll just let this person handle it and I won't think about it. And in the end, it's like not good. And you're like, oh, why isn't it good? And the reason is like you didn't put any energy into it. And how would you keep like, you know, going into this as it does this also tie in hand in hand with like as you're delegating any task to anyone just to get it done? Um, is it because it doesn't work because that you're not clearly explaining it? Are they not highly motivated? Um, what, what's the real reason why it kind of breaks in the end as you're just delegating these random tasks to maybe the people that are not the right fit? Because you're not delegating them to good executives because you're a young founder. It's not like you can hire any good executives. Um, so you're delegating it to people who are not going to think uh, super truly about the problem and they won't have a hundred percent of the context because um, they're not there for like a long time, right? Like they're just fine. So what they're going to do is that they're going to do whatever they did in their last company. And I mean, whatever they learned that they did in their last company may work or may not work. That's the thing. And you only will know if you as a founder are there understanding why he's doing what he's doing and, um, and applying your context and your startup to those decisions. And what was the emotional journey of building your startup at a younger age? Um, you know, what are some of the mental challenges that come along with building that company? I mean, this is your second one, so I'm, I'm sure you have a lot more than the usual younger founder. Yeah, so the first one um, was pretty emotionally intense for a few reasons. Um, the first one was I ha was having like huge fights with my mom and I had to get emancipated and moved out of my house and like it was this whole drama. Um, so I kind of had to learn how to be an adult by myself, um, while running the company. That was kind of like, a emotional stress. The second thing is with Pagarma, our first company, we only raised $300,000 and we just grew as much as we were profitable the last month. So there were definitely months where 
we didn't have enough money. And I mean, we just had to go and say to suppliers, hey, we're not going to pay you this month. Can you please not cut down my servers and like, I'll pay you next month, um, you know? And um, not knowing if you're going to be able to pay your bills next month, depending on the performance of your sales team, like adds a lot of stress to you and everybody around you. Um, but also taught us a lot about sense of urgency and is that not because we have $15 million in the bank that we can just like chill and relax, right? Um, we have to treat it as if next month was the month. Um, so that was like a big, big learning for us. Um, and, and then going through the ups and downs of press for the first time, I think is also very challenging, right? In the sense that uh, the first time like you're in an article and like you have all these journalists saying how awesome you are, you actually start believing that you're awesome. And like the truth is, you're probably not, you know, um, and it's I think you have to manage a lot of the downs, but like a lot of the ups are really, really high ups and you have to know how to manage that emotionally, too. And it's not easy. Um, it's not easy to understand that you're still in a startup that needs to grow when all these journalists are writing about you saying you're awesome. Right. So I think there's a, like a, a, a few of the stresses of, of building a company being super young. I mean, speaking of, you know, having to move out of your mom's and, you know, you know, growing up super fast while building a company, while keeping food on the table for your employees. I mean, what was, I mean, from what you know now, like emotionally or learning how to handle things better emotionally now, like what, what would you tell the emotional younger Enrique? Um, I would probably tell him to think that, Think about in a three, at least two, three year horizon, a little bit more than in a next month horizon. And it would have been hard because like next month, the bills needed to be paid. But I would have like um, not stressed as much and like not made some decisions because next month had to do this versus um, thinking a little bit more in the longer term. And like speaking of the the PR, you know, the handling the pressure of PR and, and you're blowing up, like it's it's easier for and I, I've I've been in these shoes. I mean, it's easier for a younger person to have some press release and then, you know, kind of get their heads in the clouds. And like you said, take the foot off the pedal, even after you get a boatload of cash. I mean, what are what are just best like simple steps that or just mindset that you had of just keeping your feet on the ground and um after not just how you not get too excited. So you're able to just effectively move forward still without keeping your head too much in the clouds. I think that just remember that you're not generate, even though your valuations are going up, you're not generating value and profits, right? You're still burning a shit ton of money every month. And until you're not, you're not hundred percent sure that you're generating value. So keep your eye on the ball. Um, so the thing is that even though it, it may be the right decision to invest a lot in the future and not be profitable for a long time, like it's probably the right decisions for a lot of VC-backed companies. But just remember that you're investing, investing, investing. And at some point, um, you're going to pay that back. You're going to have to pay that back, right? And until you get to that point, you're not 100% sure that you actually generated value. So remember that and look at your revenue numbers, look at how much money you're burning and make sure that that's like where your eye is and that is the ball and not what some reporter is writing about you. 
It's funny you bring that up. I don't think I've had any, all founders that have been on the podcast have been incredible. I just haven't had anyone talk about, um, you know, generating value and profits um, specifically and, and that correlation to what the outside world sees. I, I think that's really the, the core of what the unsexy startup is. I mean, tied to, yes, generating value and profits, but like it's, I think this is what attracts people to startups, but they don't realize it's not about the PR. It's actually about getting to profitability. I mean, how come you don't think it's spoken about as much in the media? I think that like there is this notion, and it, it makes sense for Silicon Valley, and it doesn't make sense for anywhere else in the world. So if you're an international founder, please be careful about this. Um, but a lot of the times it is, um, the right decision to not be profitable and invest in the future. And most of those very successful startups were built that way because most of the profits would come, if you're growing that fast, most of the profits would come in the last years, not in the first years. Um, so investing for a long time makes sense. And a lot of times you have very young companies bragging about how they're profitable, but they're like, they're making like 50 K a month or whatever, hundred K a month and revenue. So like, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's like a small business would do that. Um, so I think that it, it is, it is a, a message that I have to be careful when telling entrepreneurs because it's, it's likely on a VC back company, not the right choice to become profitable too soon. Um, but, uh, you have to always have in mind that that's a conscious decision. Um, and you have to get to that point in the future. And that's not going to be natural. That's not going to be by you just being so big that you can't be profitable. That has to be around also controlling costs and like having a scalable process and optimizing stuff and, and things like that, you know, just being in, uh, in the, in the mindset that it is not natural. You have to work on getting to profitability when it's time. And until you do, you're just like taking more and more debt, which is fine because that's how you build a big business. But remember you have a lot of debt and that is called liquidation preference, by the way. And, and so with, you know, getting to profitability, I mean, one last thing around that with younger founders is, is there certain ways to handle the pressure after, um, raising another round of debt or just venture in general where like, you know, now that the gun's to their head and they need to get off to the races again to hit near the profitability, you know, compared to the what paid in capital they have. I mean, are, are there ways to handle that pressure easily or? I think that the other very important thing, and this is a lot of things that um, young founders miss, is that they treat VCs like they're bosses. Um, and that's not true. Like, VCs are your partners and they put a lot of money into it and you have to be super respectful to your money, but you're the one who you're thinking 24 hours about this problem. Um, so you have to think about it. You have to make the decision you think it's best for the company and you're comfortable making and you treat advice as what it is, which is advice. So if someone tells you you should hire as double as you can, like you have to hire faster, you should grow faster, you should invest more. Think about, is this actually healthy for my business? And think about the hard problems and the hard metrics and look at things the worst way possible internally. Um, and what that means is 
if you have like two ways of having a metric, one would make you look better, one would make you look worse, go for the worst one internally, right? Like look at the hard metrics and try to optimize those. Um, and don't worry about the message that you're going to be passing along to the VCs or anything like that, or the advice, like go in your rhythm, the way you think it's healthy for your company um, and just control your burn because the only thing you have to not have to ask VCs for money again is if we control your burn. Yeah? So be mindful of those things um, and just think about a little bit on the longer term. Is this action today going to help me get to market leadership in five years or this action today will just help me get to the next round? Um, and the, re the way you don't optimize for getting to the next round is to reduce your burn so you have more time to figure it out. That's actually a pretty good strategy, um, even from the venture side as well, is, is to figure that out, you know, to have a better image, more perceptive image is to run leaner um, as well. So you have more time to actually think and, and, and execute effectively. On markets that have winner takes all effects, that, that effect may change because sometimes you have to go as fat as you can because just to optimize getting there first, because some markets are just like that. I Fortunately, we're not in those mar one of those markets, but some are. And uh, just one last question, Enrique. I mean, we, we dived around what you would tell, I guess, the emotional younger Enrique, but what is some other advice you would tell the younger Enrique before even Brex from what you know, the start of Brex from what you know now and, and why? So after Pagarman and before Brex? Yeah, like after, uh, you know, before going into Brex, you know, what was something you know now, now that you're, you know, farther along in your journey here, and this is another chapter, I mean, what's some advice you would give that that younger Enrique? Um, I would probably tell him to hiring in the Silicon Valley takes a longer time than in Brazil. So hire some positions that you think you don't need now sooner, and you'll appreciate that. I think some positions we just took too long to hire because we thought whenever we need it, we'll just hire it in a month. And now it's been a few months and we haven't. You're like, oh, shit. Um, so I think that was like, I think hiring really good people in the Silicon Valley takes like a long time. I would just like hire them a little bit earlier. I, I like how you brought that up. I'm actually interviewing a company that just raised their Series B as well out of New York, and um, they they um, they're now looking for a specific type of developer. But it, it took them some months um, to get that exact developer, and and you know it, it the the challenges are there, especially when you have a new board. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thanks so much for your time, Enrique. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And is there some final words that you would love to give younger founders before we sign off? I think that what I would like to say is it doesn't take that much time to get the rest of your company in order. And people like undervalue accounting and having like books that are correct and having like just some like basic, basic like HR stuff and like some finance stuff that you can do for your company. Just like if you get that right from the beginning, it will save you so much pain and headache in the future. So just like take a day in the weekend and do it every month. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate it. 
Enrique, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. For any of our listeners who found this podcast helpful, click the subscribe button and follow us on our social handles that we provided in our description. We are always looking for more challenging topics to dive deep into. If you have any great topics we could talk about on The Unsexy Startup, please send a message to the email that I've provided in the link below. Until next episode, this is Smai Parikh signing off.